With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome back to the Establish the Past podcast. I am your host, Blake Lovell. With me is my co-host, Dylan Reagan. And uh, we are looking back at what has been a, an eventful uh, week two in the NFL, to say the least, Dylan. And uh, a lot of that has to do with injuries, and we'll get to those. But a uh, very sort of interesting Sunday. There, there were a lot of games that... We had some close games, and then we had uh, the blowouts that some we expected, some we didn't expect. Uh, it was very, I think, wild. It's a pretty good way to put it, mm-hmm. uh, Dylan, for Sunday's action. Yeah, we're talking before the pod or before we recorded about you know just keeping up with the ten games in the morning was nuts. But even when you go back, and not a ton of surprising results, but I feel like we did learn quite a bit from week one. Some things that you know we may have overreacted to, or just you know NFL fans in general uh, from one week and. I think one of those might be the 49ers will get to them looked a lot better but overall uh yeah fun week the injuries not so much though no not not good and you, you talk about overreactions uh, we'll get to that a bit in the in the waiver wire section because there were some overreactions uh, that we knew were going to happen after week one and now some of these guys who are hanging out there on the waiver wire uh, for someone who who is deep into your fantasy team uh, you saw some guys get cut after week one that should not have been cut and they're hanging out there waiting on you uh, but we'll get to those guys here in a bit when we jump into the waiver wire section but let's go ahead and start running through all these games uh, from this week in the NFL of course we still have the Monday night game uh, to go as we were recording on Monday morning with the Browns taking on the Jets uh, and what a situation that is uh, for the Jets uh, but we still start with uh, an ugly game and that was one that took place last Thursday. Dylan uh, won't spend a lot of time on this one because it has been a little bit uh, with the Bucks at the Panthers. Both of us picked the Panthers uh, but the Bucks got a surprising win as nearly a touchdown underdog in that one. Um, that, it, was, uh, it was a weird game but what we take from it at least for, for me Maybe the Panthers are in a pretty interesting spot here with Cam Newton because mm-hmm. th- their offense just did not look great at all against a, a Bucks team that, you know, is their defense as bad as it was last year? I don't think it is, but 
it's still one of those teams you feel like when you're at home on a Thursday night. It was kind of a weird game. You know, you had the, the weather delay early and all that. But this is a game the Panthers had to win if they wanted to, to be in a spot where you could view them as a mm-hmm. potential Falcons, Saints, having a chance in that division to lose a game like this uh, with the way we're just seeing Cam Newton. He's not getting the, the, the you know, the yards on the ground we're so used to seeing. Um, it's a, I don't know, the, the Panthers are in a weird spot here and we're only in week two. I think all the positive things that are said about Cam's health in the offseason may have been a little too optimistic, obviously, like you mentioned with Cam not running the ball the same way. They had that crucial fourth down late in the game. I think if he's fully healthy, they, they just have him pound through there like they always have, and instead they go and hand it off and get stopped uh, short. So overall, I think you know when we've seen with him now two weeks in a row where he's really not been able to throw deep down the field, and that was the same thing that hampered him at the end of last year with the shoulders. So hopefully he's getting healthier each week. But I, I, yeah, a lot of reasons for concern with Carolina on that. Um, if he's not going at a full at full strength, they're in big trouble, especially in that division. Like you mentioned, there's going to be so many good teams in the NFC that you, you really can't take these home games to teams like Tampa Bay and lose them and expect to make it at, at the end of the year. So really rough for them. Maybe Tampa's defense has improved, but I think it was just a case more of Cam still not being himself totally. Some weird things on you know weird Thursday night funkiness. Just overall an ugly game. One that I'm not upset that I missed live. I had to go watch, watch it back uh, Friday morning. <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't the, the prettiest game, and we're used to seeing that, like we say, for the most part, it seems like on these Thursday night games. And let me just go ahead and tell you, before we get to our uh, our week three picks uh, later in the week, uh, Thursday night's game this week may not be much better with the Titans uh, hitting the road to take on the Jags. Uh, but we'll get to that one uh, once we get there. But, yeah, it, it wasn't a pretty game, but like we both said, it's one the Panthers had to win, and for them to lose that game – um, certainly stock down on the Panthers right now, even though you know we know what Christian McCaffrey can do. Um, we know what they're capable of, but without Cam Newton being Cam Newton, um, that they're a different team, and, and we're seeing that thus far with the Panthers here as they jump out to an 0-2 start. Uh, all right, Dylan, let's roll on through here uh, with the Sunday games. The Colts at the Titans. The Colts getting a victory 19-17. to um, you know, we both picked the Titans, and it seemed like we both sat there and said how you know concerned we were and how we were not confident at all about doing that. And mm-hmm. uh, here's exactly why. And it goes back to the things that I talked about probably since we started this podcast um, however many episodes ago now because the, the Titans are just one of those teams. Look how great they looked in week one against the Browns. And then they came back, and for the most part, they, they looked okay against the Colts, but they had some opportunities that they let get away from them. You know, certainly we'll talk about uh, the issues on third down, but mm-hmm. th- this, again, is one of those games that if you're the Titans, if you want to kind of turn that corner knowing all the Andrew Luck stuff, uh, not knowing exactly what we're going to get from the Colts, the Colts coming off a loss, you know, against the Chargers where it was sort of a deflating overtime type of loss. How do you bounce back going on the road uh, against a division rival? But here we are again, the Colts beating the Titans, which has become a common theme, it seems like. Um, and this is one where, man, if you're the Titans, you, you, this is one of those later in the season you're looking back saying, we felt <laughs> like we, we did the things we needed to win, but somehow you come away with a loss here. And if you're the Colts, hey, that's a big win for them on the road here. 
Yeah, the Colts could easily be 2-0 and with a couple of big road victories, so definitely think your division pick there could end up paying off. But <laughs> overall for the Titans, looking back at my notes from last week, I even put, you know, I was tempted to pick the Colts because the Titans historically often lose these games early at home where it feels like they should win. So here it is again. And maybe yep. I was a little too high on their new offense coordinator, Arthur Smith. Dialed up some great plays in week one. Then you go to week two here, and the Titans, as you mentioned, one for ten on third down. Just, yeah, I mean, that's completely – I mean, you got to be able to convert third downs. And a lot of it was even on third and shorts. They are doing okay on early downs and still weren't able to convert. So – uh, more of the same from Tennessee on that front. Uh, still th- believe they have a you know great offensive line and a lot of good pieces and a, and a solid defense that had a pretty decent day overall. Um, but I think yeah, it's still you know if Mariota can't you know kind of get over the edge, he's kind of ha- has flashes of great games and other games where it's like man, what just it's not all there. And uh, for if you're going to win big in the NFL, you need a quarterback that's operating on a high level with, or they're around a ton of really talented guys. And as good as Tennessee uh, looked in week one, definitely have to step back and, you know, maybe again, there's <laughs> the overreactions to week one, whether it be with our picks. I mean, this this one we did kind of talk about how it could go either way. But teams uh, historically that start with two road games to start a season really do struggle a lot in that second game. So that was another thing we had going up for us with Tennessee but the Colts definitely mentally tough to, I mean you read articles about Jacoby Brissett taking naps before games he's definitely not uh, overcome by the moment so Indianapolis definitely well coached and a good team that was just able to get it done on Sunday yeah Titans are still just so they're just unreliable on offense like they just they're still at a point where we just we can say all we want about how Marcus Mariota is going to take that next step, Corey Davis, and you go on down the line, it's like, yeah, they they show those flashes, but it's just finding that consistency week in and week out. That may be something we continue to see from this offense as we go throughout the season. And I wanted to point this out. You and I were talking about this before we started the podcast. Um, you know, Pro Football Focus does an article every week where they, they look at some of the best coaching decisions of the week. Well, Frank Wright goes for it with two minutes and 23 seconds left in the fourth. The Colts are up 19-17. It's a fourth and one on their own 35-yard line, and they go for it. Obviously, you love to see that if you're a Colts fan because (laughs) you're playing to win. Uh, Certainly, we've seen decisions like that go south, and there's always that potential. But when you see a guy that's making those kind of calls, you've got to appreciate that because, hey, there are some guys that don't, and we're going to get to those guys uh, here probably as we go uh, along here and talking about some of the decision-making that was made in Sunday's games. But Mm -hmm. uh, you got to love that, I think, if you're a Colts fan, and uh, that's something where, hey, they're showing no fear, even with uh, you know Jacoby Brissett under center, and and they're still attacking uh, the way that they would have attacked uh, if Andrew Luck would have been in there. So a big win for the Colts uh, there in Week Two on the road. Um, another one, Dylan. Uh, we both went our, our separate ways on this one with the Chargers at the Lions. This is the only one <laughs> that I think we went our separate ways on that I was able to get the upper hand on, um, and that's because the Lions got the win. And uh, you know we mentioned sort of ugly games a 13 to 10 game I, I Dylan I thought this had sneaky sort of shootout type of potential yeah. um especially as someone who on DraftKings and FanDuel played a lot of Chargers and a lot of Lions um I was really hoping for a much higher scoring game uh that didn't happen a 13 to 10 game and it's weird because you know it was seven to six at the end of the first quarter so not much scoring uh, the rest of the way in that one but just like we talked about with the Titans if you're the Chargers, 
this is one of those games you're going to look back on and say, what happened here? <laughs> um, and Dylan, as you know, that's been a common theme in the past with the Chargers. Yeah, being in L.A., I was able to watch a lot of this one flipping between Red Zone and the game itself. Uh, I ended up staying more on Red Zone for obvious reasons as the game went on. <laughs> but overall, I mean, for the Chargers, this is has to be so frustrating. We go from the, the week before where it looks like they got a kicker and he's making a, a lot of big ones to missing a couple of really manageable manageable kicks in the second half in this one and just overall for the offense so many frustrating plays they had a, a touchdown called back from i don't, can't remember if it was a block in the back or a hold they end up on that drive fumbling at the one yard line when eckler tried to go over the top again and couldn't get there um and then you have a couple of missed field goals just overall so many frustrating part things if you're a charger fan the defense played so great but now they lose adrian phillips who was mm-hmm. filling in for derwin james we'll see how that impacts them starting next week against tennis or uh, houston so uh, for the Chargers, a, a team that also, in a similar fashion to Tennessee, it feels like there's a lot of times you look back at later in the, in the season and you're like, man, this team's in the playoff race, but let's, wherever their losses come from, and they end up having ones to teams they just simply should not lose to. Detroit has a solid defense, and Matthew Stafford, you know, if given the opportunity, can make some big throws, and he did on the what ended up being the game-winning touchdown to Kenny Galladay. But overall, I mean, the Chargers are a team that, we regard as you know in the top half of the AFC easily and uh, a team that should make the playoffs with the talent they have even with the injuries they've uh, underwent so far so uh, it, it's got to be frustrating uh, yeah, especially for having such an experienced quarterback they do drive down the field and then Philip Rivers all they need is a f- uh, field goal to keep the game going he just lobs it up for an interception on just completely unforced uh, very similar to a play we'll see uh, we'll talk about later with Kirk Cousins so uh, if you, when you have a QB like that, it's just discouraging to you think that the experience in those spots is going to really pay off. Instead, just a, a mistake that was was not forced and ended up really costing them a chance to win in overtime potentially. Yeah, Austin Eckler still clearly the, the workhorse there for them. I think anybody mm-hmm. who expected any different, um, you know, Justin Jackson he had seven carries, fifty nine yards. He caught a pass, uh, but Austin Eckler, my goodness, he just he continues to be kind of that workhorse guy and not knowing what's going to happen with Melvin Gordon. Um, Austin Eckler can just, you know, fantasy-wise, you're someone that has Austin Eckler like I do in one of my leagues. You're, you're never sitting that guy because he's just got so much value. Uh, then you look at Kenny Galladay, who had a big game. He showed it last year with Galladay. He's someone we've talked about a lot, it seems like, in recent years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know how good this guy can be. It's just finding that right situation. Certainly he found that uh, eight receptions, 117, 117 yards. He got a touchdown. Uh, big win for the Lions. Yeah, the only way to put it. I mean, that's one for them to bounce back. Uh, you know, after the tie against the Cardinals, feeling like they should have won that game, Lions could easily be 2-0 and right now. Um, and uh, here they are, sitting here uh, in a pretty good spot now as they head into week three. Uh, all right, Dylan, let's get to the ones where you completely uh, beat me when it came to the picks. Uh, and one of these, you know, you always try to pick a couple upsets. You think they're going to happen. Uh, this was not one that happened as your Buffalo Bills went on the <laughs> yes. road and beat the New York Giants. Uh, we're laughing because you have deemed the Bills your team, Dylan, because uh, they are. They're, they're a team it seems like we've talked about for a couple weeks here. And we said it going into the season, probably when we were running through our, our division picks and all that, we said, you know, the Bills aren't going to win the AFC East, but they're going to be that team that you're just not going to want to play ever because they, they just yeah. kind of have that makeup of a team that can be really good offensively when they're clicking, and defensively they can be pretty good as well. So they, they have that potential – 
Yes, they've played the Jets and the Giants in the first two weeks. Mm-hmm. Those aren't two <laughs> playoff teams at this point. But, hey, the, the Bills look pretty good here. I said I didn't think the Giants were as bad. Um, offensively, though, that's what it comes down to. If the Giants don't score, their defense isn't good enough uh, to be able to get those stops, to, to stay in games, and we saw that in this one. Now we're sitting here talking about, you know, Finally, is that change going to happen with Eli Manning to Mm -hmm. Daniel Jones? Uh, That was brought up on Monday morning. Pat Shermer uh, sort of left it open in terms of possibly considering that here pretty soon. Uh, Either way, big win for the Bills, and the Giants are still kind of right there where we thought they'd be. Yeah, no reason for the Giants to wait any longer with uh, Daniel Jones at this point. I mean, this is what your team's going to be. I mean, it it might as well get started now. You're facing the Buccaneers next week. Maybe their defense has improved, but overall, don't think. uh, I think that's probably one of the better situations you could have a guy making his first career start in. So for the Giants, yeah, I I think last week I talked about with Buffalo, the stats uh, kind of uh, showed that even though they barely beat the Jets, they really outplayed them quite a, quite by quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, very, very uh, impressed with how quickly in the last couple of years, even just going back to when they made the playoffs two years ago, their offensive line has taken some big strides with guys that aren't huge names. Their defense really stout, as I have talked about on this podcast. And overall, I don't know if they're going to make the playoffs, but, but I do think they're a team that uh, we talked about the Patriots and the Jets, and it does go for the Bills as well, having just uh, some of the easier schedules in the NFL overall based on the matchups their division got. So I, I think it kind of lines up for Buffalo. They, they play Cincinnati next week based on what we've seen. It's only been two weeks. You'd, you'd think there's a, they're going to be a pretty decent favorite <laughs> in that game and a uh, chance to start 3-0, which I don't know how often that happens in Buffalo. <laughs> not, not very. So a lot of things to be encouraged by. I don't know if Josh Allen is – I, I, one just from when I watched some of the plays from this game, it, it definitely feels uh, like they've figured out a way to get their offense in a point where he's not having to make as many crazy throws. Like they're they're giving him open receivers, kind of uh, plays where it's easy to read the defense. And yes, he's still scrambling, still doing things with his legs. And they they you know have designed a few sweeps for him, which is a ton of fun. Um, I don't know how sustainable that is over the course of his career, but in year two, Josh Allen looks completely fine. And overall, uh, I think it says more about Buffalo than the Giants I I still maybe was still last week lower than the Giants after the Cowboys game I I just don't trust the the overall talent on their defense let alone their offensive line and uh, Eli Manning so a lot of a lot of work to do but might as well start next week with Daniel Jones and see what he can do with this team as it's currently constructed yeah clearly the Giants considering that and if you're the Bills I think the one thing that's really stood out to me I mean John Brown and Cole Beasley have thus far been exactly what they need mm-hmm. them to be um that they've really stood out i mean the, you know that's why they they brought these guys in because they needed more consistency at wide receiver to help josh allen grow more and certainly they both uh, played really well to, to this point and, and you know being able to attack two iffy defenses has helped but those guys they're going to lean on a lot here this season if they can keep playing like this um, they should be okay and, and before we go any further just hang with me here the buffalo bills six and oh six and oh buffalo bills let's think about this they're at home against the Bengals next week they're at home against the patriots the week after which obviously <laughs> that's going to be tough but let's be say tough. let's say they get that win over the patriots 
They're at the Titans. They're at home against the Dolphins. I don't think it's going to happen, but you know what? Let's not be surprised if we're looking up and the Bills are 5-1, and 6-0, and something like that after six weeks. I think it's entirely mm-hmm. possible uh, when you look at their schedule. Uh, so, hey, maybe the Bills are a potential playoff team. And as we say with all these NFC – or excuse me, AFC East teams – uh, they all get to play the Dolphins twice. And at this point, guess what? You also get to play the Jets twice because things aren't looking great for the Jets either. Um, no. So, yeah, the Bills, uh, I'm not saying they're going to make the playoffs like you said, but they're they're in a pretty good spot right now. Um, yeah. I think uh, if you're a Bills fan, you're feeling pretty good. So um, another team that's feeling really good, and that is the Baltimore Ravens, who uh, they have looked like uh, just world beaters through two weeks. Um, they get the win over the Cardinals as expected, a little bit closer than, than most of us expected, and that's what we said, Dylan. Uh, you know, we saw that 13-point line last week. We're like, ooh, that's a little high. <laughs> um, and it, it certainly didn't turn out to be that way, 23-17. to 17. The Ravens get the win, but uh, the standout of this to me is Lamar Jackson is clearly uh, getting a lot better. I mean, just you look at it just from a passing perspective. Again, let's remember we only have two games to go by this season, um, and he's played the Cardinals and the Dolphins, but his his throwing motion just looks better. I think everything just looks a lot crisper. He's you know more confident. It's clear in the passing game. It doesn't hurt that you have Marquise Brown out there just being able to speed past everyone. Um, You have Mark Andrews, who has all of a sudden become a top-five tight end in the NFL. (laughs) Um, It's just uh, everything's clicking right now for the Ravens, and uh, they get another win here, and they just keep on rolling. Yeah, I had Mark Andrews as one of my fantasy must-plays, so feel pretty good about that (laughs) one. Uh, Had that touchdown early in the game. And could have had a couple uh, other big plays. Uh, the Cardinals' defense was solid, but overall, Baltimore, for only scoring 23 points, was able to move the ball uh, pretty much where, whenever they wanted to. Lamar Jackson, one thing I think, uh, as we're talking about what how good this team really can be, if he can stay so as consistent as he has now for two weeks with throwing the ball down the field, I think especially the one down the sideline to kind of clinch the game or at least make it so they only need one more first down. It was third and long and right on the money on a deep pass. So those are the things that get you excited if you're a Ravens fan and just overall as an NFL fan for what the Ravens offense can be and uh, a lot of the fun blocking schemes they have for the running game and just overall how this offense looks. It's an offense that you want to watch each week. They're a team and I really there's not a lot of times in the past where you can say that about a Baltimore Ravens offense offense so uh defense still looks pretty solid i think you know this game could have gone either way still though i think there are a lot of good things where kyler murray made some nice throws down the field and schemed up plays by kingsbury to open up guys a lot of receivers that you saw more wide open than we're used to against baltimore as well so if they could uh, this is the second straight week now where arizona's kicked a ton of field goals as you mentioned before the podcast inside the 10 yard line if they can clean up their red zone performance uh, they easily could could be 2-0 and right now so uh, it's a really tough division they're in now it's looking like so uh, i don't know about this year but overall uh, still positive things to take as a cardinals fan it's a team that did not go into baltimore and just get their butts whooped like a lot of uh, some of these other games we've uh, had yesterday with other teams they they fought hard and were right there till the end well those are the positives let, let me just go ahead and throw in the negative here um <laughs> for cardinals fans footballperspective.com put out this tweet and i thought it was very interesting uh Cliff Kingsbury and the Cardinals are now the first team since the NFL moved the goalposts in 1974 to attempt three field goal attempts in a game while trailing from inside the five yard line. <laughs> 
So, what do we take away from that? Um, well, I think it should be pretty clear that, you know, if you want to be able to win games like that, we mentioned Frank Reich earlier and some of these other decisions. We'll, we'll talk about probably Dan Quinn uh, a little bit later. Uh, really, Doug Peterson, too. You can throw both those guys in there. Both those guys are just out. They don't care. They're going for it. Um, but, uh, I mean, if you're the Cardinals, though, come on. You, you, brought, you got this offense. You're going to – going to kick three inside the, i mean come on right dylan I mean, hey you got to be able to no. be a little more creative there that's the thing i mean we have a coach like kingsbury who's everyone's so excited about the scheme he's bringing to the nfl and uh, you, you assume in an air raid kind of offense not that it's, it's totally new to the nfl by any means but you assume with a guy like this that he's going to be way more aggressive and yet here we are like you're saying kicking tons of field goals inside the five yard line when you're trailing especially it just goes completely against I, I don't i didn't look at the exact numbers on the added win expectancy say they for going for it versus kicking but i'm sure in a few of those kicking probably lowered their chances even when it's not <laughs> a, a sure thing they're going to score a touchdown so i don't know if it's just lack of faith in what they've how they've been able in practice and just overall been able to perform in these red zone plays I'm not sure what it is um but they definitely need to clean it up because if i mean it, if, you, if you're able to get, convert some of these uh, drives deep into the opposition's territory and the touchdowns, again, they, it's a team that has looked outside of their red zone performance uh, better than I expected uh, going into the year. Yeah, you got Larry Fitzgerald, you got Christian Kirk. You tell me you can't find a play for, for either of those two guys there. I mean, rarely oh. do you see this kicking-wise. Zane Gonzalez is lying. Three of three field goals, uh, longest 22 yards. So it's they like they need to clean up. They need to clean up running the ball. I think even, yeah. I know they're gonna. They want to throw the ball a ton, but we talked about before they only had 20 yards in this game rushing. Yeah. Um, and when you're inside the five and ten yard line, running a lot of times is more efficient. So if, if you can't get it get it done on those plays, that's a big problem. They had the one nice designed run where it's a huge hole for David Johnson. So hopefully we see more of that and they get a little more creative and are able to do things. Maybe they just they did struggle at the interior of the line uh, last season a lot, and that could be another issue. They're just not trusting their running game deep in, inside the red zone. Yep. Well, one team that wasn't concerned about kicking field goals uh, because it was not going to help them catch up in any way, um, and that was the Miami Dolphins, who uh, last week, Dylan, when, on the podcast, Dylan, we said it. We said, listen, the line is 19, as we were talking about it. I said if the line was 28, I'd still take it. Uh, anyone who bet on the Patriots, just the easiest money you've ever made in your life, probably, because the, the Patriots win this game 43 to nothing. Uh, it was never in doubt. Yes, the first half was a little bit, eh, you know, 13 nothing at halftime. Mm-hmm. Everybody's thinking, oh, we're going to have to, we're going to see a miracle here or something like that. No, they're not. So uh, the Patriots win this game, blowout city. Uh, I think we just saw a plug here, by the way, on the Clutch Points app. Uh, we just got notified that uh, the Dolphins are not considering making Josh Rosen the starter going into week three, at least at this point. So the Dolphins have pretty much decided that uh, they are who they are. They're going to play the Cowboys this week. That line, by the way, opens at 20 and a half. Um, Dylan, I don't know what else to say here. I don't really know that we can take anything away from this game. The Patriots are good. We knew that. The Dolphins are terrible. We knew that. Um, It is what it is. You have the team that's coming off a Super Bowl victory and looks better than they did last year in all facets (laughs) of the game. And then you have a team that's trying to tank more, obviously, than maybe any team in the last uh, 10, 15 years at least. I don't know. Like This team is trying to lose at a, and they're succeeding quite well. I mean, uh, at this point, maybe they should be worried about just overall, once they stop wanting to tank, you got to have some sort of 
you know, guys believing they have, you know, at least are building towards something. I mean, how many of the guys on the current team are getting discouraged? And we we talked last week about guys asking to be traded, and all week we there's trade rumors with Minka Fitzpatrick and Kenyon Drake. So overall for Miami, just an absolute mess. I mean, it's what they wanted, but have they gone too far? I don't know. <laughs> I guess we'll find out. And for the Patriots, I mean, yeah, like we said on the lock of the week for betting wise. Yeah, there were some contrarians going to Miami being like, you know, it's how Tom Brady struggles in in Miami overall. The Patriots and during his career have struggled there compared to a lot of other places. But this Dolphins team is not no. at like a lot of those past ones. They are set up to fail. They've uh, It's a systematic uh, whole situation. They're succeeding at that plan quite well. Um, and I, I know we talked about fantasy-wise, uh, Patriots defense being a must-play. They scored over 30 points with a couple pick-sixes and a ton of sacks, so that worked out well. And that's going to be pretty much any defense that faces this team I would go with because that <laughs> offensive line, these it's it's the worst in the NFL. It's just as simple yep. as that. And they don't have enough talent around uh, to uh, you know succeed otherwise. And I, I can understand why they don't want to throw Josh Rosen in there. I mean, this is this is somehow a worse situation than what he was in with Arizona's uh, offensive line and overall roster last year. So not, uh, overall for Miami, not, not a ton to take away from the Patriots other than, yes, we know good teams are supposed to beat bad teams bad, as we've talked about, and sure enough, here they did. And uh, no no concerns about the Patriots. Didn't feel like we learned anything different than we already knew, that they're amazing and definitely one of the top Super Bowl contenders. And for Miami, um, yeah, that, my only takeaway is just have they gone too far with this tank? <laughs> Yeah, no, and that's the problem, like you said, is it's it's so bad that you can't even look at some of the what could be potential highlights for the Dolphins down the road. I mean, let's look at someone like Preston Williams, um, you know, rookie wide receiver, Colorado State. He's looked pretty good mm-hmm. thus far, but you know what? He's had a lot of opportunities too uh, because they've been down in these games. And then, you know, at this point, why even have a running back? I mean, you know, Kenyon Drake got, what, six carries, 19 yards. Mark Walton got three for 15 um, Caleb Balage had four for six. Uh, you know, come on. I mean, it's just – it is so bad at this point. And, and this is something worth considering. Um, you think about the most recent winless teams in the NFL. You had the Lions in 2008, uh, the Browns from 2017. Dylan, I don't think this team – and, you know, as someone, obviously, you know, we're not going to go back and watch every game from those seasons or anything like that. But I, I have not seen a team look this bad at least no. just through two weeks. I, I've never seen a team probably look this bad, and we have to possibly consider. And I know we, we mentioned overreactions and all that. And again, I'm not going to go there just yet because we we all we only have a two game sample size here. But this is one of the worst teams I've ever seen just through <laughs> through two weeks, and it's just yeah. man, it's bad. Yeah, they tied the record for most points in NFL history, given up through two weeks. And overall, yeah, you talk about the the Browns' zero and sixteen team. I, they lost either it was somewhere between seven and nine one score games that year. It wasn't yep. like they were getting blown out every week. And yes, it's been two weeks against teams that uh, at this point look like play. Uh, you know, obviously the Patriots, but also the Ravens playoff teams in the AFC. So um, you take that into account. But overall, uh, yeah, this is uh, at least some of the teams that have been bad have haven't tried to be that bad you know at least they've kind of made an effort this doesn't i i don't even know what it's like watching a team that should be relegated from the nfl at this point if you know if they had uh, some of the rules in english soccer so yeah i don't know man it's it's rough and it's gonna be rough all year i yeah pour another one if you're a dolphins fan man take an extra drink you deserve it for yeah if you're sitting through all these games (laughs) 
that that Lions 2008 team, you brought up the Browns team, which I wouldn't even compare, like you said, to this Dolphins team. That Lions 2008 one, um, you know, that's the team that went four and zero in the preseason, and then they turn around and, and go <laughs> winless in the regular season. But just just for reference, they they lost their first two games. Their their first week was against the Falcons, lost 34 to 21. The next week they lost to the Packers, 48 25. But they had a lot of games uh, sprinkled in there, one score games um, mm-hmm. without running through it. I think I see five maybe six in there so so yeah a little bit different at least uh just projecting out but uh what we do know is that the Dolphins are bad and it doesn't look to be getting uh, any better this season there in Miami um next up Dylan the Cowboys and the Redskins um that was uh it was an interesting game I think that line was at five and a half and and we said you know we could see this being one of those games where the Cowboys ultimately find a way to win, and that's what they did. They won 31-21. But, you know, the, the Redskins were able to to make things interesting, which I think we thought they would, divisional game, uh, that kind of stuff. But, I mean, the Cowboys just keep plugging along here. Um, you know, got some bad news this morning with Michael Gallup's going to be out two to four weeks. Uh, I believe uh, torn meniscus, uh, something like that. Mm-hmm. I, I'd have to look at it. So he's got – He's got an issue there. That takes him out. But who the Cowboys play next week? They play the Dolphins, which, again, 20.5-point favorites. They're, they're not going to have to worry about that. But uh, Dak looked really good in this game, uh, 26 for 30, 269 yards and three mm-hmm. touchdowns. Uh, Zeke uh, ended up having a pretty good game as well. Uh, the Cowboys, the team who we left out of the playoffs, Dylan, um, they are, are looking like one of the best teams in the NFL right now. Yeah, I couldn't, couldn't be more high on the Kellen Moore train right now. Yep. Talked about him last week, and overall, uh, Dallas did struggle early in this game a little bit moving the ball, but they were able to make adjustments, and then everything was uh, clicking again, and I think that's a testament to him and what they've overall built the system. I mean, Dak is putting, getting put in these situations, like you mentioned. I mean, those numbers are absurd. I mean, he's getting put in spots where he's able to succeed. It's not like Dak just, I mean, I'm sh- you know, not to take anything away from the work he put in this offseason, but um, it's not like he just took a jump and became like you know a much more accurate downfield passer he it's it's the offense for sure that's helping him and they have a ton of talent as we've uh, talked about a lot and it's great to see them doing that and for the Redskins uh, the second straight week where you know they they kind of hang around early in the game against uh, two of the best teams and the two best teams for sure in that division and then just can't get it done over the course of the game, just uh, overall struggling to protect. I mean, Case Keenum, there was, uh, saw one play in particular, but there was a few where um, he, you know, had a Paul Richardson or whoever it was on uh, the other ones, but the one play I saw on a, on a Twitter highlight with Paul Richardson just open completely deep down the field, just like, you know, they had those two long touchdowns mm-hmm. against the uh, Eagles in uh, week one. And Keenum just didn't have the time to look down the field. It's just the pockets collapsing. And it's not just the uh, the loss of Trent Williams uh, and with that holdout going on. Just overall, the lack of depth in that offensive line is catching up to him. And just not enough overall talent to really overcome, you know, how strong this conference is. You you have positives for sure for the Redskins, a team that by the end of the year, uh, I'm sure they'll win a number of games. You know, they, they fight hard. They're, they're not, they're not giving in to the competition, but overall just a lack of overall talent and just uh, protecting the quarterback. It's, it's such a simple thing for me to say, but the best teams week in and week out are uh, at this point with how offenses uh, are designed and everything. If you're able to give a guy time, even, even the Keenums of the world, Joe Flacco's of the world can win games by finding guys open. And right now Washington just cannot get it done. 
Well, there's one guy making this most uh, of his himself in the Redskins passing game, and we won't talk about him just yet. But for the second straight week, I'm going to try to remind <laughs> you about this guy when we get to the waiver wire later on. Uh, he's definitely, for me, a must-add at this point because he looks like the uh, the best option, at least for them, just seeing how well he's played thus far. You probably know what I'm talking about. We'll, we'll save his <laughs> name for later on uh, once we get to the waiver wire. Um, next up uh, on the slate, oof. Another ugly game here. Um, oh this this <laughs> that's never good. Whenever I'm going, oh, and you're going, oh God, as we get ready to talk about a game. Uh, but this one was certainly in that contention for among the ugliest of the week, uh, and that was the Jags at the Texans. Um, boy, this AFC South is uh, is something right now because uh, this was ugly. Thirteen to twelve, the Texans win this game. Uh, you talk about two teams just battling it out and seemingly just not having the firepower to to be able to take that next step in a game like this and we kind of saw that you know both defenses are good Dylan I think they're you know Mm -hmm. they're both defenses who have a chance to be pretty good this season but man it's just like this is just one of those pull your teeth kind of divisional games which we see sometimes uh we we know that it's nothing unexpected especially probably between these two teams uh but I mean in this one if you're the Texans you, you almost gave this game away. I mean, the, the Jags go for two to have a chance to win this game. Speaking of play callings, I I love it. Like, go for two. You have a backup quarterback. I mean, you know, what what's your chances about – would you rather have that one play, right, yeah. to win the game at the end, or would you rather Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins get the ball – to start overtime and then you know they drive down the field and win the game so i love doug marone going for that there you might as well you're playing with a backup quarterback um you have nothing to lose at this point so you know they don't get it leonard Fournette comes up just a tad bit short um but the texans get a win here but you know you and i were talking about this before we came on i still think if you're a texans fan you don't feel great because no th- they have looked average through two weeks and you know the the highlight has certainly been Deshaun Watson but still you've got to give him opportunities and you can't you know let him get pressured and all that and that's going to be a theme I think we see all season long I look at this entire division right now Texans Jags Titans Colts it's so wide open because to me you just have a lot of average teams here and that's going to make for some ugly games like this yeah, I mean, Jacksonville's defense bouncing back maybe a bit, but overall, the Texans, it's clear that I don't know how bad this team would be if they didn't have Deshaun Watson. They'd be towards the bottom yeah. of the NFL, absolutely. They just don't, you know, they have two of the most talented guys in him and Hopkins on offense, but around just overall, their offensive line's still not great, and you see Tunsil go down towards in the second half of that game, and who knows how bad that is at this point. But overall, uh, just a lack of depth on that team is just staggering and that they still couldn't get much of a pass rush. I mean, JJ Watt did have the one big play, but overall it's just a lot of question marks. It's kind of a hollow roster overall. I don't really trust, trust as I've talked about Bill O'Brien in general. So, I mean, yeah, thanks to Doug Marone for letting us uh, get off the hook there of overtime, (laughs) potentially really just giving us a, you know, a major (laughs) bump. It would have been a tie. It would have been a 13, 13 tie. Yeah. (laughs) Probably with the way the game was going. Yes. Like it would have been a 13, 13. The best player of the game might've been, uh, Jack's punter Logan Cook the dude was just firing him back averaging like almost 50 yards a punt I had a tremendous day so when I'm talking about a punter you know the game's not pretty I mean that was a fun little drive at the end of the game by Gardner Minshew to get in the end zone and make it interesting but yeah Jacksonville at this point 
uh, overall, with Gardner Minshew, fun story, uh, great uh, pregame outfits, but overall, just not a guy that's going to probably be able to bring them to be in anything significant in AFC. And for the Texans, you know, they we, last year they had a ton of luck facing pretty weak quarterbacks, and here they are again with all these um, injuries that we're having early in the year. And now, um, especially with the Jags, now they get Gardner Minshew or whoever else the Jags throw out there the second time they play. So uh, Houston, you know, they have enough talent at the top end to maybe make the playoffs again, but I just don't think they're really a factor at that point. When they face some of these better teams in the AFC, I just don't think they stack up. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's not good. And a uh, couple things here. We're not going to stay on this game very long, like we said. Deshaun Watson, he's, he's t- <laughs> tied the longest streak of games of taking four more sacks. I-, I can't remember the exact stat, but we put this story out on Clutch Points mm-hmm. on Sunday, and it's like, Oh man, I mean, it's like it's just terrible. Like he just continues to, to be put in situations where he's taking these sacks. Uh, Carlos Hyde had 20 carries for 90 yards, so hey, that's something, right? I mean, at least you know maybe he breaks out as someone they can rely on. But I think they're just going to keep going back and forth with him and Duke Johnson. Um, also, mm-hmm. there is a Jaguars player, believe it or not, that I am going to include on the waiver wire for a second straight week, and I never would have thought I would do this, but we'll get to him. Uh, in a bit. And you know what, Dylan, since we're not going to spend a lot of time on this game, we're going to actually backtrack a bit because we forgot to mention this guy because this game was so out of hand, and that is, of course, Antonio Brown, who um, played for the Pats. It's it, We were so focused on talking about how bad the Dolphins are that we forgot about Antonio Brown, and that's probably not going to be the first time uh, that happens no. when teams are playing against the Dolphins. But uh, I guess, you know, what did you think? I mean, clearly they, they, they tried to get him involved early, and I don't think that's a surprise. I mean, when he's on the field and we know all the stuff that's going on off the field and certainly that's a completely different story but when he's on the field he's still one of the best in the game I mean you you saw that that burst of speed that he has the guy can still play the game it's just Mm -hmm. you know it's just a matter of what's going to happen now with all this stuff off the field Uh, but again when he's on the field he looked pretty good it was the Dolphins but I think we still know that Antonio Brown can play the Patriots do a good job of making guys blend in just overall. Uh, they've had you know a lot of top-end talent over the years that just kind of fit right into the system. It's it's almost, it's I mean, not almost, it's very similar to Nick Saban and what Alabama kind of does with their superstars. It's, it's all part of the system. And um, I think uh, one of the reporters for New England asked uh, Belichick if he was trying, making a concerted effort to get Brown the ball early in the game. And he's, he was adamant that, no, this is what we've done for 20 years. Just very classic Belichick response. Yeah. So overall, it's just another huge weapon for them. I don't know if they're going to necessarily scheme things for him, but you take it, you have a team that had, you know, a guy as reliable and as unstoppable as Rob Gronkowski now off the team and a much different looking offense than maybe we've seen in the past with New England and all the talent. But I, yeah, it's not a bad thing when you have the talent of someone like Antonio Brown. He's still one of the best receivers in the game when he's on the field. And you add that to what the Patriots do overall. It's just another reason that they, another way they can beat you. And uh, yeah, it's the Dolphins. So we'll see another week's if he can make more of a, the difference at the end of the day. But for now, it's just another weapon for Tom Brady and Belichick. Yeah, we went back to Antonio Brown because uh, it felt like the perfect segue into the next game, and that is the Seahawks <laughs> and the Steelers. Um, that was, hey, this was your uh, your upset of the week. You called it 28-26. Well. <laughs> um, and, of course, the, the biggest story coming out of this game really isn't about the Seahawks. Um, it's about the Steelers, and it's because 
Ben Roethlisberger, as we know now, is out for the season uh, with an elbow injury. And, I mean, that just – it came out of nowhere, Dylan, because we knew, um, you know, going into this game, I don't think any of us were looking at this, but you see some of the reports that came out. This is apparently something that the Steelers were well aware of um, mm-hmm. as they went throughout the week. And, and, you know, I think when a lot of us looked at it and said, hey – He's going to have this MRI. He's going to see what's going on. You know, maybe he's maybe he misses a couple games or something, but out for the season. Um, that is not what any of us expected. And for the Steelers, who didn't look great in this game with him on the field and now have to consider him not being on the field for the rest of the season, my pick of the Steelers winning this division, I will tell you, is done. <laughs> that is not going to happen at this point. Um it's just, man, I mean, everything with the Steelers, we said this offense did not look the same without Antonio Brown. Now it's really not going to look the same without Antonio Brown and Ben Roethlisberger. From a fantasy perspective, if you're someone like me who has Juju Smith-Schuster, you are in panic mode because uh, his value completely goes down as well. The Steelers are in a bad shape right now, but that doesn't take anything away from the Seahawks, uh, who took advantage of some of these opportunities uh, and got a big road win. If anyone's fantasy value went up, it might be Vance McDonald. He looked like the one yep. guy that Mason Rudolph kind of uh, was a safety net in that second half. Obviously scored a t- couple touchdowns in the fourth quarter, but just overall a uh, guy that uh, I think with the offense as they kind of consolidate it for Rudolph as he gets used to everything, he'll be valuable. Yeah, I've, I, like you mentioned, I picked this as my upset of the week. I didn't envision it happening with Roethlisberger going out of the game. Yep. Um, the Seahawks still have some concerns with their defense. Still don't think – I mean, they're 2-0, and uh, I, I do think uh, – some of the issues they do have, uh, as we've talked about, are, can be hid by how good uh, Russell Wilson is. And I think in this game, they did kind of let him off his leash a bit compared to some of these past weeks where they just pound the ball so much. I mean, he had a pretty balanced uh, uh, game where he threw the ball 35 times and had a ton of success. Really uh, just looked amazing, as we know he can. And, uh, you know, that was part of part of why I picked them to win this game because I just don't have any trust in Pittsburgh secondary. Um, but anyway, going into the Steelers' outlook, yeah, I mean, I picked them to make the playoffs as well. I'm very worried about that. I think Rudolph isn't the worst option, but, and, you know, for the Steelers long term, I don't know if this is a team even with Roethlisberger healthy was really going to contend for a Super Bowl with how bad the defense has looked and just some of the question marks about how explosive their offense can be overall. So maybe it's good for them just for the future to really see is is Mason Rudolph the next quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers for the you know beyond 2019. This is his chance. This is he gets now a full season audition to see what he can do and if he can you know keep Pittsburgh within uh, you know towards 500 I think that would be an accomplishment absolutely um had some solid moments but other moments where you're you definitely see the the young guy making mistakes and that's going to happen so overall for Pittsburgh it has to be really disappointing and it's it's crazy to think about just two years ago you have one of the best big threes in the NFL Mm -hmm. and now none of those three guys are playing for the Pittsburgh Steelers in 2019. Yeah it's very very odd and uh you know we mentioned the outlook moving forward Mason Rudolph and James Washington who I mentioned last week is potentially having a big game yet to this point he has four receptions for 74 yards through two weeks I also mentioned him in my my DraftKings value plays all this I just thought he could have a big week 
He hasn't, but you know what? These two guys played together at Oklahoma State. They have chemistry. Um, I think James Washington's someone to keep an eye on because Dante Moncrief is not in the picture oh, at gosh. this point. He is no. just, man, he has struggled, and there's no other way to put it. Um, so you could see Vance McDonald, you know, James Washington, be two guys that, that are going to have to take a step forward. We know Juju's still there, may not have uh, the exact type of numbers, but, yeah, the, the Steelers are in a – a spot where we don't really know what to expect out of them moving forward, uh, and they're going to have to get it together pretty quickly here. Um, all right, Dylan, next game. Uh, another game from uh, or a team that's uh, in that division with the Steelers and, of course, uh, a team that's in the division with the Seahawks, and that is the 49ers and the Bengals. If we could go back and play oh, my exact wording – from last week, I think it went something like, I am officially back on the Bengals train. And <laughs> this week, I would like to report that I am officially back off the Bengals train uh, because they looked atrocious on defense specifically. Uh, my boy John Ross had a good game. Uh, he made another long play, and Tyler Boyd, you know, racked up a lot of receiving yards. But you know what? That's easy to do uh, when you're getting run off the field. And the 49ers, who we thought may have just won that first week because they were playing a, a bad Bucks team, they come out, take care of business, 41-17. Uh, you had a lot of good performers from the Niners. Uh, pretty impressive win here based on, you know, how yeah. high we were on the Bengals after one performance. But still, to go on the road, win like that, that's a, that's an impressive win for the Niners. Yeah, that week one game with Cincinnati and Seattle, I think just for the expectations for both sides, maybe just toss that one aside. Uh, Cincinnati, overall, just really disappointing. I still, maybe, I, I still don't think the 49ers defense is that good. They've had now two weeks in a row where they've played pretty well against Tampa Bay and Cincy. We'll see when they've face some of the better teams but i think this game reminded us that kyle shanahan is this is there's a reason that he was so highly regarded and uh, you know had so much success in atlanta and then what he's done so far in san francisco they've really had so many injuries so it's been hard to see what he can really uh go with but overall in this game i mean the two running backs that they have invested so highly in both didn't play obviously in mckinnon and tevin coleman that didn't matter they ran the ball 42 times and had 259 yards against Cincinnati. I, it, it reminded me of that. I've mentioned it once in this podcast, that Saints-Bengals game last year where they ran the ball 40 times or so and just pounded them for gains of five, six, seven yards every time, just completely beating them up front. And overall for the 49ers, did scheme up a lot of wide-open throws for Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, there were guys running open against Cincinnati all day. It was Kyle Shanahan really just kind of flexing his muscles, saying, you know, I'm – Everyone talks about McVeigh and some of these other young uh, offensive coordinators and head coaches in the NFL, and he reminded us that he's still one of the better ones. And yeah, overall for San Francisco, I still uh, we'll see about their defense. I'll believe it more when they when they put up uh, a number like 17 against a better offense and a better organization overall. But overall, Bengals, man, that was rough. Yeah. Not just nothing, even on offense, just overall things that I thought they'd be able to do. Maybe. We're t- I'm talking so much about Shanahan and that side of the ball and all the all the success they had overall, gaining you know close to 600 yards. But for the Bengals, man, y- your offense, uh, you know, based on what we saw last week, it just didn't. It looked completely different. I don't know if San Francisco just you know knows the scheme well enough and were able to st- stop Zach Taylor, or maybe just last week was a aberration. We'll find out, I guess. Yeah, I think we'll find out more about both of these two teams uh, in the next couple of weeks because they, they've had kind of starts that, you know, scheduling-wise, maybe you don't know a ton about them yet, but uh, it was not good for the Bengals, but the Niners did look good. And just as a spoiler on them, 
at least right now, and this is always subject to change before we post the article actually on Tuesday morning, but I have three 49ers in my top 10 waiver wire pickups, and, and I'm not <laughs> overreacting here, but I think they're when you look at the numbers, they're, they're guys that you kind of have to consider at this point after two weeks, um, and we'll get to those guys uh, in just a bit. But, yeah, it's I didn't think I'd be saying that, but the Niners uh, at least – seem to kind of have some options there you want to look at when it comes to fantasy speaking of fantasies the vikings at the packers if you are like me and thought that the vikings were going to win this division if you've watched kirk cousins play through two weeks it now looks like a fantasy because i don't know what to say here dylan um it it, you know why did i pick the vikings in this game um, why did I not, like you, pick the Packers to win this game? It's because I did think the Vikings were, were going to be able to turn a corner. And, yes, they still have 14 more games to play this season. But, Dylan, I will tell you, I am at that point with Kirk Cousins, who is now 5-26 and 26 against teams with winning records, that mm-hmm. I, I don't know where we go from here. And I don't know that we can look at the Vikings even if they were to, let's say, go 11-5, and uh, 12-4, something like that. I just don't know how, once we get to January, we look at this team and legitimately think that they can win multiple games in the playoffs relying on some of these issues they have with Kirk Cousins. If he is in a spot where he has to throw the ball a ton, it's just not going to work. I mean, he goes 14 of 32 for 230 yards. He had that interception that was just brutal. I mean, it's just give, mm-hmm. give credit credit to the Packers. Made a great play there. But it's just those are the kind of decisions that separate you from that good kind of quarterback and that great kind of quarterback. And and I know we've talked about Kirk Cousins in the past. I think he's unfairly been knocked at some points throughout his career. Mm-hmm. But uh, this was a tough game. But if you're a Vikings fan and you're worried at this point, I think it's completely warranted because the numbers sort of speak for themselves. And I'm not really sure where where you kind of look at this and where the Vikings go from here as we look at them as a potential Super Bowl contender. Yeah, if you want to be positive for the Vikings, I think, you know, despite falling behind by so many points early, they didn't go away from the running game. And even outside that one long Dalvin Cook touchdown, he, he had a lot of uh, just, you know, overall was – carrying the ball well and they're able to run against the uh, Packers so promising things there but I think some of the reasons I picked the Packers did come out here trusting their secondary I think they you know they have played the Bears who still look you know quite sluggish on offense and you know against a Minnesota team that has a ton of really talented guys but overall I think the Green Bay secondary is quite strong their pass rush has improved enough and I think their defense is legit I think it's enough that when you see the, the offense operating at, at you know as high as it can at certain points in that first quarter with Green Bay moving the ball with ease um, I think they're going to be a really scary team but I still think Minnesota again and you know the overall talent over on this team is too good for them not to be a factor and i think they'll have plenty of weeks where it won't matter if uh who they're facing they'll still find a way to win but i think yeah kurt cousins the numbers as you mentioned just you can't ignore it uh, it's too many games now yeah. where he's lost to uh teams that look are, are you know probably gonna have winning records and end up having winning records and um even outside that one throw i mean finishes 14 for 32 uh, yes the packers know when they're up early that minnesota's gonna have to throw the ball quite a bit 
but they still had pretty good balance overall and that's a good secondary uh, but still Kirk Cousins man it's just <laughs> we want it we want to kind of defend him against how you know yeah. how brutal some of the critics are and not even not necessarily like analysts but just fans and overall uh it's hard to really defend him at this point after that game it, they for a team I mean we could have had a whole different narrative if they come back and win that game and you you can say something there's some controversy about that overturned touchdown with the offensive pass interference and what the score might have been like at the end maybe he doesn't force it as much being down by maybe a point instead of five so a lot different uh game if those things go that way but overall i still think there's a lot we can learn about both these teams it's early the packers after that first quarter man they, they didn't do much on offense the rest of the way so uh, and you saw that there's a little bit with Rodgers going, getting pretty animated, yelling at Lafleur. So still got to work things out over there. But I think for Green Bay, unlike Pastures, they have the defense that even as they get their offense uh, situated, they're still going to win games and feeling decent about my uh, pick for them right now to win the division. Yeah, no, looking pretty good so far. And uh, you know, we knock Kirk Cousins. For me, it's in relation to the contract. I mean, look at how much money they paid him. And, you know, the the goal is simple. And you mentioned, you know, the Packers struggled the rest of the way after getting out to hot start. We'll see. That makes it worse probably for a Vikings fan because you had so many opportunities and your defense played well enough to win Mm -hmm. that game. Um, And that's, you know, that's the ones we talk about, leaning one way or the other. Good news for the Vikings, two of their next three games against the Raiders and the Giants. So uh, Kirk Cousins should be okay there, I I think, because uh, those are two bad teams and uh, he should be able to pick those guys apart. Uh, if he needs to, the unfortunate thing is the game in between that is at the Bears. Uh, that may not necessarily be pretty uh, in terms mm-hmm. of the passing game for the Vikings. So we'll see what happens there. But speaking of the Raiders, uh, they played the Chiefs, and man, Dylan, the, the Raiders got off to a great start. I mean, they were they were up ten to nothing. We were all ready to just write off Patrick Mahomes. He's done. Like the Chiefs are overrated. They're not going to do anything. And then Mahomes comes out, throws four touchdowns in the second quarter. Uh, didn't have any scoring the rest of the way. But, you know, the guy plays one quarter, throws four touchdowns. He really doesn't have to do anything else. Um, the Chiefs no. get a win. The Chiefs are, are still the Chiefs. We saw a couple of breakout guys, which, as you would expect, are going to be on my waiver wire pickups. And there's no reason that we already know who those guys are. Demarcus Robinson, uh, McCole Hardman, both of those guys had great games in the passing game. Mm-hmm. Um, just, uh, you know, another performance from the Chiefs where they go on the road. Uh, they're playing kind of a, a team that can, can be a little stingy, you know, in terms of how they play, we saw the Raiders, how they played against the Broncos. Um, but the Chiefs, with, with Patrick Mahomes, there's just – I mean, you know, you, you're in a spot where you feel good no matter if you're down 10 to nothing, 17 to nothing. Their offense is so good that you just always expect them to have a chance to come back just like they did. The only two concerning aspects maybe at this point, we already know Tyreek Hill's out with the injury. Uh, Sean McCoy and Damian Williams both had injuries in that game. Uh, seeing how that unfolds is going to make things very interesting for the Chiefs moving forward. But at this point, give me Patrick Mahomes, a football, and uh, two wide receivers, and that, that's all you need out there. <laughs> it didn't take long. It escalated so quickly. It, it was, you know, from the first quarter where, yes, Kansas City struggled to move the ball. But it was overall – they had some things there and just a couple missed throws, nothing crazy. But, man, that second quarter was insane. It, I mean, all of the touchdowns – 
came on throws over 20 yards over the last few years. The only guy to do that, even in a game that have four touchdowns, all 20 plus air yards, was Jared Goff in a whole game. And you know, this is a point. And this is, he did it one quarter. I mean, that's yeah. ridiculous. It's insane. And um, yet, uh, I forgot who tweeted. There, uh, I think it might have been Ryan Clark. He's, he said that he's not going to watch any Mahomes games because he doesn't want to watch science fiction. He doesn't believe it's real <laughs> football. It's, it's hard to fathom. So, yeah, it's Chiefs. I think for this game. In the second half, yeah, they don't score any more points, but they only had the ball a few times. Just if you look at the overall possessions, they punted three times, had a fumble, and then they did have that last drive where they were able to run the clock out. So at that point, they were up by 18, not really in a rush to be putting up big points on the board. For Oakland, yeah, week one, uh, maybe another overreaction, not necessarily by us, but some people thinking, wow, the Raiders, they got defense looks great, offense is operating, firing all cylinders, but for an offensive line that didn't give up any pressure really to Von Miller and Chubb in the game against the Broncos, the Chiefs improved pass rush after having such an abysmal day against Jacksonville really came to play. So that's a really encouraging thing if you're a Kansas City fan to see them kind of step up here. I think, you know, if that pass rush can stay consistent throughout the year and overall that defense improved, that's really scary for everyone else in the NFL. So there is some hope for all of us that think the Patriots are just destined to win the Super Bowl uh, for every year for eternity. Well, could have a preview of the AFC title game next Next week, if we take the Patriots out of out of there, Baltimore at Kansas City. Oh, that's that be fun. is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, as we saw last season, uh, this is this is going to be oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be a great game. Uh, it's going to be the opposite of uh, Jags, Texans, and uh, some of these others we've talked about uh, for sure. All right, uh, let's get to the big one, which was the Saints and the Rams. Um, that was one where we figured. You know, probably going to be a, a close game and uh, didn't really turn out that way. And again, probably had a little bit to do with injury situation. The Rams get to win 27 to 9. Drew Brees um, gets injured early in the game, didn't come back. Teddy Bridgewater show. Um, but uh, I don't know. I mean, we're looking here, like we've mentioned with the Steelers, Drew Brees, we know now is probably going to be out a good six weeks or so. Um, now the Saints are sitting here looking at, at not having having so many unknowns now moving forward, um, feeling so good coming into the season. You know, they're a team I picked to make the Super Bowl, um, and now here they are without, you know, their their star quarterback for six weeks at least. Um, mm-hmm. Man, it's, it's a tough spot for the Saints, but if you're the Rams, uh, we mentioned teams that have just kind of kept on rolling. Uh, good performance from the Rams, took advantage of it in that second half. And uh, my man Cooper Cup is back. Can we just point that out? Like, he is back. <laughs> he looks great. Um, Robert Woods looks great. Brandon Cooks uh, had a big play. I mean, they, there's only so much you can say. Todd Gurley, who we, we mentioned, you know, he's still running fine. The Rams are still as good as ever on offense, and, um, you know, that, that was obviously a big win. Yeah, they after the game, some of the Rams players, they didn't go into details on the, what the Saints did, but early in the game, they had a defense they weren't expecting, and from just watching the condensed game again, it looked like they were sitting kind of on a lot of the little routes, uh, little things that we saw them do so well against the Panthers to kind of beat the zone, so uh, kind of going to contra- uh, on the, you know, not following the lead of the Pats and some of these teams that have 
done well against the Rams and, it, and for, uh, not defense. And overall, for that first half, it was pretty sluggish. And, you know, we can talk about the, the one, uh, if we have another rule that needs to be changed with the uh, fumble from Jared Goff that was recovered yep. by Cameron Jordan. I mean, we've seen that happen and to other teams that you, we have you know the Jaguars fans can make a case for uh, they should have been in the Super Bowl against the Eagles on the uh, Miles Jack fumble would have been a touchdown they kind of put that AFC title game away and said they blow it dead and we know how that one went so there's this this is a play that is hard it's it's a little different than you know the pass interference what's so obvious it, that was a play that you know, we see this a lot in the NFL where they're going to blow it dead if they really feel that it's an incompletion. They don't want quarterbacks running down guys and possibly getting blindside blocked or trying to make a tackle and hurting their shoulders. So it's a tough one for uh, from the Saints' point of view. Very understandable. They'd be really upset about it. But I think over the course of the game, it probably wouldn't have mattered with Breeze out. They, even with Breeze, they weren't necessarily moving the ball quite well against the Rams' defense, which I think absolutely compared to last year where they looked a little sluggish at times. It looks a lot better. The pass rush looks great. I think for New Orleans, that's one thing too. Another injury, a huge one with Andres Pete going down. And after that happened, it seemed like, I mean, even before, but even uh, on a more escalated rate of just holding, there were so many holding penalties against the Saints. It felt like they're constantly going backward. And uh, if they, you know, with Teddy Bridgewater, especially that, that protection is going to be crucial to what they do. Overall, the offense just did not look nearly as, as you can imagine, as efficient without Breeze. So they have a tough couple uh, stretch here now and for them. Their, week, their bye doesn't come till week nine, which is unfortunate. So you have six weeks without uh, Breeze. They they've go to Seattle next week. Then they host the Cowboys. Gets a little easier after that with the Buccaneers, the Jags. Uh, they're at the Bears and the Cardinals. So what they do in those six games will probably define where the Saints go this year because as good as they are when Breeze is back, uh, we've talked so many times about how deep the NFC is, and yep. there might not be many uh, playoff spots to grab at that point. Uh, so they're they're going to need to sustain, hopefully for their sake, you know, at least win half those games. If they don't, it's going to be a, a trouble. And we've, you know, luckily for them, maybe the, the division doesn't look as good with the Panthers, uh, kind of disappointing. But the Falcons, as we'll talk about, definitely had some good things going for them. And overall, the, the depth of the conference is so strong. So takeaways yeah for the saints we'll, we'll see how they can overcome it but for the rams yeah that second half the offense was firing in all cylinders i think they figured out exactly what they had to do and looked a lot more comfortable luckily for the rams they had you know austin blythe goes out at right guard and they have uh, their backup fill in for him and uh, com- look completely fine so we'll see how long he's out but overall man they yeah, you combine what the defense was able to do with the pass rush and the secondary looks better Weddle making huge plays left and right linebackers look solid I, I think they just have uh, right now you know injuries can derail any team but they have about as complete a team um, you know with maybe Dallas and the NFC so definitely scary for opposing teams yeah the Saints uh, don't want to put themselves in a spot where they're having to you know win five or six in a row or something when Breeze comes back uh, they, they've got to be able to win some of those games uh, with him out like you said the Rams they're not going anywhere they're still a Super Bowl contender uh, for anybody that expected a, a fall off, that's just not going to happen. They're, they're too good on offense. Uh, they've got too many options on defense. So uh, the Rams sitting in a good spot here at 2-0 as we head into week three there as well. Um, one game that was not kind of in that line of not pretty, but I, we didn't expect it. If we go back, I think we look at our notes. Uh, I said the first to 10 probably is going to win this game. Well, it turns out the first <laughs> to 16 um won it and uh, that's the bears winning at denver in, in a wild sequence uh, to end that game that final oh, yeah. dylan probably the final two minutes were more exciting than the first um you know oh, yeah. portion of the game 
And uh, just a, a wild way for that one to end with, uh, you know, the Bears getting getting the kick to win the game uh, after it looked like they were done for after the Broncos, uh, you know, got the touchdown, got the two-point conversion. Still with the Bears winning, Dylan, I, I'll tell you, I still don't feel that bad about leaving them out of the playoffs for me no. because th- they just offensively, I just I don't see it. I mean, I you know that's we talk about Kirk Cousins. It's a different situation for the Vikings, but here it's it's kind of not though. You have two great defenses, and you're looking at your quarterback situations for both teams, and you're wondering, you know, is that going to be what holds us back in terms of having a chance to win? You know, the NFC have a chance to play for a Super Bowl or even be in a, a spot to get to the playoffs. Is that going to be the one thing that holds you back? You know, mm-hmm. Mitchell Trubisky just, I mean, we, we didn't expect him to look great in this game. Let's point that out, though, to start with. We didn't expect him to look great against the Broncos. We knew that the Vic Fangio knew, you know, he's known everything about this guy. He's seen him develop. He knows the weaknesses to exploit. But this isn't a one-game thing, as we know. Uh, Trubisky didn't look great against the Packers. Two good defenses, let's point that out. But this is still a Broncos defense that let the Raiders do whatever they wanted. So, I mean, I don't know. Where do we go from here with the Bears? Even in a win, it sounds like we're talking about a being mm-hmm. 0 and two. But, yeah. but really, you know, I mean, they're they've won a game. That that's great through two weeks. But I think long term, I don't really know. How do we view the Bears? Because their defense is so good. But is their offense going to be able to catch up to it um, and at least be somewhat close? They're never going to be that great as their defense is. But mm-hmm. can they at least be respectable to to give them opportunities to win these games against better teams? I mean, yeah, they very easily could have lost this one, obviously, given, I mean, yeah, that crazy sequence at the end. You have, to be fair to Chicago, a couple roughing the passer calls uh, that went against them earlier in the game that were egregious and awful. And then you have one, though, that works in their favor uh, here at the end of the game where it was just uh, nothing at all where Trubisky gets hit after throwing the ball and they give him extra 15 yards, and that made the difference, really. Still got to give Trubisky credit on that last throw, I guess. But overall, uh, I think what you've said about how it feels like they're 0-2, that reflects the sentiment of Bears fans. There was a poll I saw from a local show in Chicago after the game, and it said, do you feel better or worse or the same about Trubisky after today? And 70% (laughs) said worse. So, I mean, it wasn't just I mean yeah like you said they've played a couple tough defenses and he's you know still though man like just struggling in so many ways throwing down the field just throwing to his left just everything I mean it's uh, over the course of the year this is uh you know this is a a situation the Bears fans are used to at this point it feels like uh, over the course of how many years I mean when they made the Super Bowl in Super Bowl 41 they had Rex Grossman as their quarterback so this is (laughs) they're used to this situation it just kind of makes them feel worse when they see some of the things Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes who obviously they passed on have been doing so yeah man Uh, and I mean for the Bears they we've talked previously about how last year they had one of the easiest schedules in the NFL this year projected for the third toughest uh, it goes maybe a little easier because they're going to get the Saints with Breeze still likely out. But overall, uh, they have a lot of things to figure out. Even before they get to December, they face the Eagles and Rams. Those games won't be easy. And then December, they they better hope they're ready to go because they play the Cowboys, Packers, Chiefs, and finish at the Vikings. So yeah. not going to be an easy slate there. Uh, huge for them to get this win. If they do make the playoffs, this is one they're going to have to remember because – uh, starting 0-2 in that conference, that division, it just wasn't going to work out well for them given just the overall strength of their schedule. Yeah, Trubisky through two games has 42 completions. Uh, he's averaging 4.8 yards per completion. 
Um, and that's not always on the quarterback. Sometimes it's on the receivers. But still, that's just you know, there's no, you know, there's no type of big plays. There's no you know opportunities to to really stretch the field, and they haven't been able to do that thus far. And that's where. Maybe it's the defenses, but you want to be able to see them do that, to have more of a, a game that can complement. We know they want to run the ball, but they, they've got to find something consistently in the passing game if they don't want to be playing these, you know, 13-10 to 10 games or, or be in spots where they're losing games by a field goal because they just can't, you know, score enough points where they're, you know, their defense obviously plays well enough, but you can't expect your defense to hold everybody under, you know, 10 points or 14 mm-hmm. points or whatever, even as good as that defense is. So uh, we'll see if that ends up being uh, what maybe holds the Bears back as we go throughout the season. We'll wrap up here with the Eagles and the Falcons. Uh, that game turned out to be a, a really good one there uh, in, late in the second half. I mean, it just kind of, you know, as if it was injured, Injuries all over the place early on uh, for the mm-hmm. Eagles. And then uh, we had just a really fun sequence there at the end. Uh, it's a big win for the Falcons, though, Dylan. We talked about how huge of a game this was for them. Um, they had to have this, and when they needed it most, they found Julio, and as expected, <laughs> um, he was the guy that came through for them uh, in helping the, the Falcons get a big win here, like we said, in a spot where you saw the Eagles lose some key players to entry, um, and the Falcons were, were able to find a way uh, to get that win. That's a, that's a big momentum boost there, I think, for Dan Quinn's team. You, know, you really don't want to fall into that 0-2 holes. Historically, teams really struggle after starting 0-2 just overall. And a tough win for them. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, last week we talked kind of how, you know, they fell behind so quickly to the Vikings with an interception, block punt, and things that were kind of tough to control. But overall, moved the ball pretty well in that game. And at times, they, they struggled last night. It, was, it wasn't pretty at all. I mean, the first three quarters were... Uh, ugly not just injury wise but just some of the decisions him and Carson Wentz were making for the Falcons I think at the end of the game they had that broken coverage on that long fourth down conversion but the the overall speed was you know of the defense I think they're one of the faster defenses from uh, back into the middle with the linebackers their linebackers are all over the place and made life tough for the Eagles with all the injuries they sustained on offense so props to the Falcons I think when they needed to have more than maybe Philadelphia and but on the flip side for Philadelphia Carson Wentz needs to get the ball out earlier more often. I mean, it's I know it's part of his game, and his best play of the game is that throw where he's, he's about to be down and finds a way to convert. But overall, I mean, he, yeah. if he takes a beating like this week in and week out, and there's no Nick Foles to back him up as we talked about, I, all the th- good things that Philadelphia has going for them go out the window. I mean, we they overall injury-wise in this game was just awful. I mean, they lose their top three receivers. Um, <laughs> We'll see how bad those injuries are. They were able to kind of sustain, and then you have Jason Peters going down at the end of the game. Dillard slides in, but overall, that's a huge loss, one of the better left tackles in the game. So Philadelphia, man, just health is so imp- important. And I, I have more concerns now, though, than I did earlier about their secondary, too. I said, you know, it was one thing in week one against the Redskins, but they were getting not just on the, the game-winning touchdown to Julio Jones, where that blitz really bit them, and, and they had a lot of other blitzes that did pay off uh, with Matt Ryan lobbing up picks. But overall... They were letting guys run open deeper down the field. If they can't get, if they're not able to get to the quarterback with some of the design blitzes they have, they're going to have a rough time. And I think they need to kind of square that out over the course of the year. So interesting game. Still a lot we can learn. But Carson, man, just get rid of the ball. <laughs> yeah, two two really good teams and two teams that, as we know, have playoff aspirations and and they have the talent to get there. It's just a matter of, uh, like you said, fixing some of these weaknesses on both sides. Uh, we'll see if both teams can respond to that. 
moving forward. Uh, of course, the Browns and the Jets play on Monday night. We both made our picks in the previous episode. If you want to hear a little bit more about that game, uh, we both picked the Browns uh, heading into that one. So we'll see if uh, Baker Mayfield and company are able to bounce back and get the win there. But we'll wrap up here, Dylan, with the waiver wire, which uh, we talk about each week. And uh, looking at, at the article I'll have up on Tuesday morning on Clutch Points uh, with top 10 waiver wire pickups of the week. Now, there's a big caveat to this week's as we're sitting here talking on, on Monday. There are some injury situations that we don't necessarily mm-hmm. know the severity of yet. So these are guys that I currently have on there, but depending on injury situations, some of these guys could move out um, if, uh, let's say, some of these injuries are not as serious or as not concerning to maybe the people that are ahead of them. Um, Let's start, though, with this, Dylan, because I always put some bonus picks in here, and I think the bonus picks for this week are obvious. It's Teddy Bridgewater and Mason Rudolph because – you know, usually when we talk about the waiver wire, we're, we're mostly looking at running backs, wide receivers, tight ends. You're trying to sort of, you know, bulk up your roster. Maybe you need to plug in some guys, uh, you know, here or there. Have those options for, for the positions where there are more players at, uh, especially for people who are only playing, let's say, one quarterback in a league. You're not in a two-quarterback league or anything like that. But mm-hmm. I, we at least have to discuss these two because now they're both put into situations where – their workload, I mean, you know, they are the starting quarterback for their specific team, teams that have playoff aspirations. Um, I don't, you know, again, it, it, to me, it's obviously you're going to look at Teddy Bridgewater ahead of Mason Rudolph because we don't know exactly. I, I'm at least taking the wait-and-see approach on Rudolph, but if we're mm-hmm. talking about quarterbacks you have to look at this week, you have to at least look at the situations here because we kind of know the weapons that there are on both of these offenses and so if you're someone that had Drew Brees or had Ben Roethlisberger, you're certainly going to at least have to look at these guys and consider, you know, you're not going to get the same value, but you have to at least consider, hey, they are the starting quarterbacks on these two teams, and that's at least worth a consideration. Yeah, especially if you have a quarterback with an early buy. So maybe with Teddy Bridgewater, this is a situation where it's not long-term over the course of the year, but for the next few weeks. Yeah. I think he definitely makes more sense, as you mentioned. They just have a team that's built to succeed better around him, I think, at this point with the weapons they have and the way the with Sean Payton and the way the offense runs. I, I think you know that Rams defense maybe doesn't get as much credit as they should, just given how they played, even though it was against a backup. So I think he'll be more prepared. He's going to have a full week with the ones practicing. And overall, I think we, should, we can expect better things from him next week mason rudolph much more of a question mark so yeah hopefully in both these situations these aren't guys you're planning to start week to week but i mean maybe a plug and play if you're if your bye week lines up with the saints having a weaker opponent it could make sense yeah you're not going to look at either starting either one of these with any confidence right now but uh they're at least guys maybe if you have to consider them uh, we know they're going to be there because guess what they're on 0.2 percent of leagues uh and espn right now so if you have to go that route chances are they're going to be there uh, so those are the two guys again as bonus pickups for this week uh, if you're looking at a quarterback situation need to figure some things out there i mentioned the 49ers jill and i won't put these in the order i have them in the article but let's just do let's just throw all these guys together uh debo samuel who has a a big game against the Bengals. you know uh, i always look at rookies as one of those where there are some people who will take those risks early on on these rookies and say man i see it like i can watch the game i see this guy has it and i'm gonna take Mm -hmm. a chance on him Uh, whereas others are gonna say well i'd rather you know let's give it four five six games before i'm even considering a rookie you know that's in a a spot like this in san francisco where we still don't know exactly what we're going to get from the 49ers even though they're two and oh but 
I mean, I think this guy's pretty good. I think he's got the, the speed. I mean, you look at him, caught five of seven targets, 87 yards and a touchdown against the Bengals. Uh, the Bengals defense, nothing special. Uh, but he's someone you have to consider just as you do probably the two running backs there uh, with Jeff Wilson, mm-hmm. who is the touchdown vulture, um, the man yes. who snags two touchdowns. Um, he's, I mean, they were looking for him in those situations. Then you've got Raheem Mostert, of course, um, who had a much, you know, a bigger day when you look at just the, the overall workload, 13 carries for 83 yards. He had three receptions for 68 and a touchdown. Uh, those three 49ers, uh, you know, you're probably prioritizing the running backs ahead of Samuel, but I know they've played two bad defenses, but, I, you know, at this point in the season where we're talking about waiver wire pickups, these are all three guys worth considering. Yeah, Mostert fits right into what Kyle Shanahan loves to dial up plays where he has bigger guys in the backfield looking like they're going to block and kind of leak out, and it worked out perfectly on his touchdown uh, yesterday. So overall, all great options. I think if you have enough bench spots, Samuel makes a ton of sense to add. I mean, we don't. I mean, with Pettis, yes, when he's healthy, a, a huge part of what they do. But I think Samuel has a chance to really take over and be a, a solid flex option for you or potentially a number two receiver by the end of the year. So if you have enough bench spots and can afford to kind of, even if you're more cautious, as Blake mentioned, still think that makes a ton of sense. But, yeah, those running backs, we don't, we don't know how long Tevin Coleman's going to be out. Obviously, yeah. McKinnon out the whole year. Braid is still you know, going to get the most of the carries. and But overall, I mean, he ended up having one less carry than most start. They were, you know, winning by so many points so that played a role there and Brady is still going to probably be their top option but overall uh, offense that uh, with Kyle Shanahan a lot of different things they can do and from week to week maybe it's not as predictable who's going to have a great game yep. every week but overall you can depending on the matchup depending on who you think uh, you need to play I think all these guys make a lot of sense for sure yep good bench stashes here and uh, I'd like to know who the 0.1 percent of people who had Jeff Wilson owned heading into this week I'd like to know who they so, are because deep. Uh, <laughs> very deep league there you must be playing in a really big league uh, because the guy came from the practice squad and now he uh, he comes out and has two touchdowns so uh, pretty big uh, pretty big game there for Wilson and as we said probably not going to expect that exact same production every week uh, but he's some one worth considering there if you need to stash them all right terry mclaurin and dj chark two guys i mentioned last week i wound up taking dj chark out of uh the actual article because i threw giovanni bernard in there that's when we didn't know about joe mixon uh, but what a left chark in i mean hey Gardner Minshew, man, he is making sure that my man DJ Chart gets the ball because he's now caught touchdown passes in back-to-back weeks. He's he's drilled in thir- eleven of his thirteen targets this season. That the Jags aren't going to score four touchdowns a game, but I mean, hey, the the guy's worth looking at at least for me uh, when he has those kind of numbers. And then Terry McLaurin of the Redskins. You said it, Dylan. This is a guy we just cannot. We've got to stop sleeping on this guy because. I mean, he just proved it again against the Cowboys. He is just, he's got 40 fantasy points through two weeks. Um, that's enough for me. I'm not in wait and see anymore on, on Terry McLaurin. No. I think he, you got to pick him up. Yeah, Chark may be a little tougher for me just thinking about, uh, you know, yes, for in terms of his value with the chemistry he has with Gardner, Minshew. Uh, there's some value there but overall McLaurin if you if you're able to pick between the two he's one I would for sure take and I see why you left him on the list I mean it in our clutch points league he's owned I mean I I can't imagine not owning him if if you had the opportunity to pick him up I tried to and was unsuccessful so 
definitely a guy that week to week, even with the struggles that offensive lines had and, you know, with what Keenum can do, he's definitely has proven against two decent uh, teams that he has a lot of value and a great option if you're really uh, lacking depth uh, at the receiver position. Yeah, still only 38% owned. His uh, ownership went up, I think, 31% from last week. So I I appreciate (laughs) it. Yeah, I think a lot of you read the article. That's good to know because uh, his ownership went up a lot. Uh, Another wide receiver I have here, and this goes back to the caveat we mentioned, Nelson Aguilar, because we don't know about Deshaun Jackson. We don't know about Alshon Jeffrey, at least I haven't seen it at this point. So remember, we're talking about this early on Monday. Um, Aguilar may not be in the article when it goes up on Tuesday. But just seeing what we saw from him, yes, he had that one drop that everybody's going to focus in on, but he still got – I mean, he capitalized on, on the catches. I mean, look, he had eight catches, 107 yards, and a touchdown. Let's say – one or both of those guys are out, you know, for a couple weeks, something like that. Again, no idea mm-hmm. at this point. You have to at least. I mean, you certainly have to pick him up yeah. because he's in an offense like that. Uh, if they both return, if they, they both are fine, he's not for me. I'm not looking at him. But, again, because we don't know right now, I at least had to put him on the list. Yeah, no, I, I, it, the drops are one thing. But, as you mentioned, this is too good of an offense for the quarterback as long as he's on the field. It's too good to not take him. Uh, with the injuries uh very uh, you know he had a ton of targets on sunday and ends up with 107 yards could have obviously had more than could have had two touchdowns by the end of the game i think he it's a pretty makes sense i mean there's no reason you shouldn't put him in there if you need a receiver i would start him next week depending on the you know the health of alshon and deshaun jackson so we'll see what happens but I, I, i yeah don't overreact to one drop i mean there's been a lot made of aguilar's drops just overall in the past and while some of that criticism is fair, it shouldn't take away from his fantasy value for a guy that when I'm yeah looking right here, 4.3 percentage owned, and that's just based on you know how deep the receiving corps are for Philly. I would jump on him absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And um, he is uh, one of the ones left, and we round out the trio uh, of Chiefs because uh, everybody else <laughs> on my list – actually, hold on. I think I skipped somebody. I did. Hold on. I skipped Will Disley. Um, I forgot to mention him earlier. He, it's kind of surprised me that – I don't know. I mean, you know, I guess it's somewhat of a surprise. Only 2.3% owned, but I guess if you're talking about tight ends, he's not in that top tier, and you're only playing one tight end. You know, a lot of people aren't playing two tight ends in the flex or anything like that. Uh, So maybe not as surprising, but, I mean, he's clearly going to be involved in that Seahawks offense. We saw it. Uh, You know, he only had one catch in week one, only had two targets. People started freaking out, but caught all five targets, 50 yards, and two touchdowns against the Steelers. If you need a tight end, I think Will Disley's uh, worth a look at least uh, mm-hmm. because we know he's going to be involved. We know Russell Wilson uh, doesn't exactly maybe have the weapons that he's always had, although DK Metcalf looked really good, which I think he's over. He should be well over that yeah. 50, 50% uh, ownership mm-hmm. at this point. I think people surely picked him up. Um, but, uh, yeah, g- keep an eye on Will Disley. And let's go back to the Chiefs now, though, because um, the three that certainly stand out, and, and you never, again, want to overreact to one game, but with Tyreek Hill injured, these three guys, and with Damian Williams and LaShawn McCoy, also, we don't know the extent of their injuries either, so you have to put someone else in that group, Dylan. Let's start with the wide receivers. McCole Hardman mm-hmm. to Marcus Robinson. Uh, McCole Hardman, we knew. We had the potential. We talked about rookies. Um, 34% owned, had a nice game. But Demarcus Robinson, the guy is 1% owned, and he just went off. Six targets, 172 yards, two touchdowns. 
I know it's one game, but I'm at least – in this Chiefs offense, give me whatever they have because yeah. you know Patrick Mahomes is going to always make these guys better. And then the other guy on that list, and he is currently, at least right now, without knowing the extent of the injuries, he is currently the number one player on my list because I always like looking at running backs. I think they're, they're such mm-hmm. an important part of this. Darwin Thompson, who, as we laughed about before we recorded this podcast, I dropped Darwin Thompson right before – the week two game started on Sunday. I picked up Rex Burkhead for some reason. I, I don't know. Just the Dolphins. I blame the Dolphins because I decided to pick up Rex Burkhead, drop Darwin Thompson. I said, you know, he's never going to get to play. He's behind Damian Williams and Sean McCoy. I just don't see it happening. They both get injured. We don't know if either one of them are going to miss time, but if they do, if they both do, let's say that happens, he immediately vaults into the top spot. If one of them does, he immediately vaults into a nice role as, as a backup in the best offense in the NFL. So Darwin Thompson is a huge priority, only 19.9% owned. He He's right there at the top for me, and just depending on how yeah. we see things unfold. Yeah, his role in the offense, I mean, the, the Chiefs, let alone just running the ball, which they've had success with, but they love to pass the running back. So his value is pretty obvious i mean anytime any injuries on up to running backs we always look at the backups but especially for the chiefs and we you know even with mahomes taking the lion's share of the plays again they do love to throw to the running backs a lot the guy that had a lot of hype about him in the preseason so definitely a great option i think yeah demarcus robinson if you played him I mean, he was started in point one like <laughs> percentage of leagues in uh, ESPN, only owned into a little over a percent. A uh, guy that I mean, it's scary that if they have this guy that's not even on the field when they're fully healthy, and then he comes out here and he's making these contested catches. Uh, you, know, you know, Mahomes is putting the ball there, but he's still making nice plays. Um, I, I think he will see. Uh, he might be one guy that maybe it's just a one week thing. Uh, you can't expect a guy to score over thirty fantasy points every week, but yep. uh, I still think he's someone that's valuable uh, if you can add again to your bench and potentially in certain spots start them depending on uh, the health of Kansas City's receivers and yeah McCole Hardman a lot of comparisons between him and Tyreek Hill I don't think that's necessarily fair but um, still a guy that proved that he's ready to have a role in this offense maybe he's not the the big number one type receiver right now but still uh, fits right into what they do and any you know just overall uh, some of those you know those fantasy points from Mahomes are going to come from somewhere so uh, we, we talked a lot in the fantasy episode before the season about targeting guys on just offenses we know are great even if they're you're taking a flyer in some of these guys if you want to fill out your bench with on teams where you're confident that they're gonna be putting up points no matter who's on the field so all great options I think yeah we'll see when the Chiefs get healthy but at least for right now those guys have a ton of fantasy value yep take advantage of their opportunities while they have them uh, because once Tyreek Hill comes back we know that'll change a bit uh, and again with the running back situation that's one to monitor we'll know more about that when the article uh, our weekly waiver wire article comes out on clutch points there on Tuesday morning uh, so that'll wrap it up Dylan uh, another uh, fun stroll through uh, the NFL lots of great action and uh, lots more great action on the way uh, like we said waiver wire article up on clutchpoints.com on Tuesday morning Dylan tell everybody else uh, where they can find all the rest of our stuff there 
You can find this podcast if you're listening, depending on where you're listening, you can find the Establish the Past podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and uh, Google Play, pretty much any podcast uh, outlet you use. So appreciate all the subscribers and listeners. We had a ton on our, for our waiver wire stuff last year, so that was great to see. Um, and overall, for our NFL content, clutchpoints.com, uh, you know, search in, go to the Clutch uh, NFL app, uh, tab. Also, just searching fantasy football on Clutch Points will bring down a list of all of our fantasy content. We'll have our start and sit-ems for every position again on Wednesday. We have Blake's uh, waiver wire article, as you mentioned, coming out tomorrow. So a lot of good stuff. Other fantasy previews more specifically on certain games. So no shortage of content on the NFL, whether it be you know actual analysis of the football itself or fantasy-wise. So tons of good stuff. Also, you can follow any of the games on the Clutch Points app under the NFL tab there. Yep, lots of great stuff on the way here on the podcast and on clutchpoints.com be sure to check all that out and we will uh, talk to you guys next time here on the established the past podcast